0: Welcome to Array Podcast, the platform to discover hacks and skills you need at different stages of building your business. I'm your host, Shruti Gandhi, founder and managing partner of Array Ventures. Array Ventures invest in founders focused on solving problems, leveraging big data, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. Visit us on array.vc. Support for today's podcast is brought to you by First Republic. First Republic is a full service commercial and private bank focused on delivering world class service across the US to the VC space and has been my preferred choice for VC funds, startups, and their employees for over 30 years. To learn more, visit www.innovationfirstrepublic.com or email Samir Kaji at s k a j i at firstrepublic.com. On our podcast from a few weeks ago on all things artificial intelligence, We heard from Lucas Baker of Google DeepMind on his perspective on current state of AI. Today, we chat with Siobhan Zilis, who's an investor at VC firm Bloomberg Beta and gives her perspective on AI. Siobhan became some of a celebrity in AI after she first launched the state of machine intelligence in 2014. She has continued to add to that over the years. Let's have a chat with her. Siobhan, welcome and Shawan is an investor at Bloomberg Beta. He started that fund, what, about
1: three. We did. We're happy. We're a happy team. So yes. um, Roy, James, Karen, um, and I, and, and Dan, who's uh, who since moved to a product role recently. We're proud of him. He's our first graduate. Uh, started back, I guess, just over four years now. It's been kind of an incredible run.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, subtext, Bloomberg is an investor in Array. Yes. So, just, so our, uh, We are, we are proud of our shruity. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so tell us, y- you are a phenomenon. People, you are. <laughs> you didn't say this was a comedy show. Um, it <laughs> is. Everything with me is a comedy show. Yet, it's serious. Okay. Um, about two years ago, I, I remember we were chatting, and you're like, hey, I'm doing this quid research. You want to come hang out with well, me? We're oh, going,
1: we're going way back early.
0: This yes.
1: is three and a half years ago we had our magical quid night. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Wow.
0: Mm-hmm. On the big It's been street. that long.
1: Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Sun flies, doesn't it? It does fly <laughs> when you're having fun. Yes. Um, Nerdy fun, but fun nonetheless.
0: There's only one kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Nerdy fun. So you had this vision that this is what you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and now you're known for your machine intelligence research landscape that you've done. Was it, was it something you put, um, but like you, did you ever get this big?
1: Well, certainly not. I mean, again, talking about nerdy fun and those sorts of things, like a lot of, a lot of what I've done in my career is not necessarily deliver it for some outcome or to have a bunch of eyes see it. It's just like a true reflection of, you know, when I get obsessed with something, I have an energy in an area, I get very nerdy and analytical. And so the, you know, the backdrop for the machine intelligence landscape actually goes back about five and a half or six years. So back when, before we launched the fund, I was living in New York. um, I was working with my colleague at the time, Matt Turk, and, and he and I were putting a lot of energy into what ended up becoming sort of, you know, the big data ecosystem. And at the time, we were both pretty obsessed with unstructured data and what people were starting to be able to do with it. And of course, we got really nerdy about that and ended up creating sort of a a landscape in the big data sphere. And fast forward a few years, the thing that I realized, so I was taking a ton of meetings in data, I've been obsessed with sort of how data helps with decision making and can make differences in society for a really long time. Uh, And I just realized I I would get in these meetings and I would just get so much energy from these entrepreneurs I was to play with their software tools and I was starting to freak out. And I was like, what is it about this subset of companies or subset of products that's really, really interesting and unique? What's the common thread? And it's not even that long ago now. This is like four, three and three and a half, four years ago. But the common thread where people were using learning algorithms uh, essentially to create tools and generate new insights, right? And at the time, it was fairly rudimentary learning algorithms on top of natural language data. So... You know, there were a few aha moments for me. So you were privy to the quid side of things. You know, I'm, I'm a visual thinker. I love doing research. What quid was basically doing was running algorithms on natural language data to give you visualized search results, right? So mm-hmm. instead of a menu of options you'd see in Google, oh my God, there's this map in front of you of all the knowledge you need to know on a given topic, right? And yeah. So that was kind of life changing for me.
0: And there was actually a company. Do you remember a company
1: called Prismatic? Yeah. The aha moment there was what they were doing was. Uh, You know, when you were thinking about reading news, they had one of the initial recommendation algorithms. Did you invest in them?
0: We did not, so they
1: raised prior to us having the fund. Okay. Um, That didn't stop me from becoming friends with them and nerding out, which is, you know, what we do for our lives, regardless of whether we invest. Mm -hmm. Um, But the thing that really got me there is it knew better than I did what I should read, right? You know, because we, Mm -hmm. as a default, go to certain publications or a certain type of thing. It was providing me novel recommendations that I was like, oh, I actually really want to learn more about that. Yeah. The first time an algorithm was smarter than my own brain and pointed me in a direction I wanted to go. And so it was just little things like that. Where was like, wow, something special here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it got to the point where, you know, I became very reliant on quid and a handful of other tools. And I was like, well, you know, I'm actually at the point where I don't really want to do my job without these tools. I've gotten so much right. more productive. So was like, if this is affecting my life so much. How is it affecting the rest of the world? And so, kind of ironically, I used a bunch of machine intelligence research tools to research machine intelligence, (laughs) uh, and it got to the point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it it got to the point where you know there were thousands of thousands. I think there were over two thousand companies in the first scan that were using learning algorithms in some productive way. Two thousand? Yeah. What is it now? Self-proclaimed. Yeah. Right. And so again, a lot of this is not particularly complex algorithms. We're using support vector machines to do various different tasks. Right. Um, And, you know, of those 2,000 companies, there were a few hundred that were actually kind of making meaningful products. And I had this research just kind of like all sitting on my desk. I showed the chicken scratch to a bunch of friends and probably about 20 people at a certain point that were like, Siobhan, can you share that thing with me? And I'm like, this is chicken scratch. You don't want it. It's not cleaned up research. So it was actually uh, my partner Roy. this is a way to motivate a Canadian, he was like, Siobhan, you're being selfish with your research. (laughs) And so it wasn't the notoriety, it wasn't the eyes, it was literally just, he was like, you're being selfish. I was like, that's a good point. And so uh, Mm -hmm. I put in that extra effort to kind of clean it up, turn it into something manageable, and honestly just provide a write-up, which was all of the things that were going on in my head at the time, um, and, and my thoughts around machine intelligence. And it ended up being the most magical thing, because it you know, the reason I do this is I actually truly believe that machine intelligence is going to have a significant impact on the world. There are subset of entrepreneurs that are building companies to solve problems that really matter, and I want to meet all of those people. And so in publishing that report, the thing that I didn't realize was going to happen was the academics and the founders, you know, who at the, we're in a hype cycle now, but back then no one was paying attention to this. Machine learning was snake mm-hmm. oil. And those people found me, and they were happy to have somebody... I right. talked to that was actually thinking about commercializing a lot of this research, right? right? And so my life got a thousand times better. Um, you know, Thank you to my partners and my fund for pushing me to even put that out there because I don't think I would have had the wherewithal to do it. Um, but it, it ended up becoming sort of this beautiful mousetrap to meet the people I was most inspired by. Have you kept up with it? Uh, the report? Yeah, do you keep updating it? Yeah, so uh, version one was published in 2014. Uh, we. Did version two in 2015, and actually, kind of the one of the lovely things was the 2016 version. Um, James and I kind of tag team on everything at work, uh, and so we co-authored this one, and it's just been, you know, at least ten times more fun to kind of do it with him because, you know, I kind of nerdily geek out on a lot of sort of the knowledge worker stuff and the vertical applications, and he's just completely, you know, if, if you kind of split up the stack, yeah, we both focus on applications, but he'll go further down as well, and so between us, like the tag team. You know, we we kind of cut across more of the machine intelligence landscape, so it's just gotten better as a result of that. Well, you should add some array companies on there. Absolutely, <laughs> but we're not. You're not going to get favoritism as much as I love. Don't it. worry. <laughs> it's all meritocratic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, research like Yale like and should we... Harvard
1: admission process. Yes, <laughs>
0: <laughs> done. <Yeah. laughs> um, and so, has that created an identity yeah. for you? And you tell me. It did.
1: And so self awareness is not my strong suit. <laughs>
0: Uh, doubted. <laughs> you are one of the most highly self-aware person and humble person I know. Oh, <laughs> so, what as an investor? That's yeah. that's a dream come true. You have a brand, which I know you do not like that word out there. Which what that by that I mean is you're attracting people you want to meet, as he said. Um, deal flow is good, good but. Good deal flow which fits your thesis Mm -hmm. is a better deal flow. Right. So this allowed you to do that. Now, how what's next? So then what was the the thing after that? There was a cherry on the icing that really kind of helped you pick like your time's limited. Mm -hmm. So how did you go from there?
1: So you got all this inbound. What do you know is real? And how do you know it's real? Well, so one of the interesting things about machine intelligence versus something like the big data movement, or we can call it that um, is, you know, a lot of what was happening during big data era was we are creating, for example, more performant databases, Mm -hmm. right? And it's very, well, it's not very hard, but you actually have to test the validity of a lot of that stuff. Whereas if you take a look at a lot of the applications of machine intelligence, their outputs are very human. They're for humans to make better decisions. And, it's pretty easy to see whether or not they're solving the problem they're claiming to solve or not. Mm-hmm. So there's certain things that don't fit into that category that are more underlying technology. For example, we're seeing a ton of stuff happening in sort of custom hardware right now, yeah. you know, for deep neural nets and those yeah. types of things. Um, but a lot of the stuff on the application layer is meant for a human to consume to make a better decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a lot of the companies that you know that we see, the conversation isn't even necessarily about the algorithms. It's just you know sort of a deeper understanding of let's just take image data, for example, right? Because we can do fairly advanced computer vision, what suite of problems in the world can we now unlock? So, you know, a very visual example of this Mm -hmm. is we invested in a company called Orbital Insight Mm -hmm. that realized, you know, if you think about macroeconomic indicators, historically have just been terrible, right? And terrible is a relative thing, right? We've done our best, but again, it's the government kind of, you know, polling and sampling infrequently to figure out the state of the economy as it relates to whatever data point, Yeah. But, you know, what happens is you start to get more frequent, higher resolution satellite imagery. Well, those images are great, but it's not really economic to scale human analysts looking at all of it. But wait, what happens when you can actually use computer vision algorithms to, for example, extract what's the total above ground supply of oil in the world, Uh, or, you know, basically what's the capacity of ships in a given dock, right? There's this whole suite of intelligence that becomes unlocked and Mm -hmm. now now you don't have to ask, for example, China, what their vegetation index is likely going to be for the year. You can actually just see it, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so you you could look at that category of company and be like, huh, I wonder if their deep learning algorithms work, but the output is just, it's very human, it's Mm -hmm. very obvious, we can understand it in economic terms. And so uh, in terms of the is it real, is it not real? The, the only places we have to be kind of really scared of that are sort of more on the horizontal platform level.
0: Well, I think if, is it real or not real is also, well, if you can do it, someone, can someone else do it?
1: Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a good point, point. and mean, one of the things we've seen, and this is okay, is, is there has been so much incredible research over the past two or three years in machine intelligence and a lot of that research has been open-sourced. And so there's a lot of value being created. One of the questions you have to ask if you're a VC is you end up having to invest in a company that will create ROI. That's a constraint on what we do in life, right? And so there's a lot of value being created. The question is where is the value going to be captured in machine intelligence? Because the algorithms and the progress of them are moving so, so, so quickly, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we look at a lot of the companies we invest in, it's, it's certainly problem first, right? So, you know, take an example like Deep Genomics, which is a Toronto-based company that we invested in. Um, they're using deep learning to understand relationships between genotype and phenotype data, right? The suite of algorithms they use is going to change over time, mm-hmm. right? You're not investing in right. an algorithmic technique. You're oh. understanding in a group that understands both learning algorithms and cell biology. Mm-hmm. And you're hoping that they're gonna iterate over time. Right. right. And I'd say that much without exception in the 40 plus machine intelligence companies we've invested in. We're investing in teams that are constantly staying on top of research and okay. understanding where to update and why. That's interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah there's a lot of uh, AI, machine intelligence, machine learning investors out there right now. I think um,
1: it's been hard to decipher what's real and not and I think it's a great way that you break that down. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's less real and not real and more what are you taking to market and why? And yeah. so for us, I think one of the difficult things is uh, if you are selling machine intelligence capabilities to someone else, that's often difficult to market. Right. Um, but if you are solving a business problem, that's a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. That being said, you, know, you kind of do have to break apart, for example, machine intelligence from something like data science. And so the differences you know, between those in my head are one of the lovely things we've seen in the last couple of years is enterprises truly getting more data literate, mm-hmm. right? Making no. better decisions. And so, you know, we've made investments in companies like, for example, Domino Data Lab, mm-hmm. uh, because we realized companies initially were like, what's this whole data thing? We're going to hire a single data scientist. That person's going to be a magical unicorn, and they're going to you know find patterns in our data, and realize, wow, we need to scale these teams up very, very and so, you know, you've, you've seen this movement because the organization is getting so much more data literate and um, statistically literate, the need for the equivalent of what happened with developer tools mm-hmm. in data science, right? Yeah. And so the same thing is going to happen with sort of, you know, more complex machine learning eventually. But again, these are all just stages, right? Mm-hmm. Um, data science is, is kind of a little easier for an organization to understand, I think, um, on average because it's in some ways smarter business intelligence. Yeah. Who doesn't want that?
0: Well, that's the thing though. Like, do they know what they're getting or buying? Because they've gone through this before. Most sure. organizations have gone through the business analytics business intelligence phase before. Mm-hmm. And then there was pure analytics tools. Yep. So f- how is the solving made today? When you, even if it's something that's solving a real vertical problem, mm-hmm. How is a cell being made today that's better than what they sold five years ago with the other tools?
1: Well, so if you, if you think about it, it's targeting a different subset of people, right? So business intelligence tools historically are for pure business users. Mm-hmm. What's happening in the realm of data science, you still you still need some technical background in order to be able to do data science, mm-hmm. which leads to a couple of different problems that you want to solve here, right? right? which is you've got a lot of people, for example, at your organization that are perhaps SQL literate, right? that are trying to learn Python and R packages and you know how do we provide a safer place to do that? Mm -hmm. How do we let these people actually collaborate? When you think about sort of business intelligence tools like a tableau, it's not you don't have to collaborate to create the result. Right. This is a much more team oriented and creative process. And so when that's the case, anything you you can do to facilitate sort of cohesion there and reduce the replicability of a lot of Mm -hmm. effort is hugely valuable. because I'm sure you've seen the same thing I've seen, which is organizations are trying desperately to hire more and more and more data scientists, and they don't know how to find them. Right. So anything you can do to give data scientists time back yeah, to do actual analysis versus like grunt work and replicating things and getting people up to speed is massively valuable. So do they
0: have a budget for the... Is it the data science team? Or is it who's buying it in a corporation? Because that's another confusing yeah. thing. They all want to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but is it... Case by case, is it the CMO team, is it the CTO team, is it the data science team, who is buying it?
1: So the data science budget seems to be more readily available. One of the more interesting Mm. questions is around um, thinking through a more enterprise-wide machine intelligence strategy, which is, when I'm saying machine intelligence strategy, the thing I'm talking about is less data from a business analytics perspective and more how do we create, for example, human out-of-the-loop systems that Mm. power our own software, Mm. right? And one of the complexities there is, um, you know, if you think about what happened in big data era, you could just tell your data infrastructure team, go figure out Hadoop or go figure out Spark. Right. And it was sort of this siloed thing that a current team yeah. could do. Right. One of the challenges in machine intelligence is, you know, if you think about what does it take to create one of these right. closed-circuit applications, well, you need someone who understands the data itself, right? how it's being stored, you know, how frequently it's being updated in, uh, you need somebody who understands what the current algorithmic techniques are, what they can actually do with that data, right. and then how does that actually translate into changing an existing product or creating a new product, and oh, by the way, what's the appropriate UI mm-hmm. on the and front end it's all like to be able many to capture like, know. Yeah. and so that's actually one of the, the more interesting things that, for example, James and I have been trying to figure out is um, because it involves integrating many functions. Where does the you know yeah. where does the puck stop there? Yeah. Uh, and you know, you see you see organizations like a Facebook, like a Google, or like a Bloomberg who had to deal with massive data volumes and providing insight early on naturally have structured to co locate a lot of those capabilities. But if your current Fortune five hundred org right. that hasn't done that, like how do you begin to do that? Yeah. And so we're very very early in the process of you know
0: figuring the file out. Of data yeah. data. Yeah. It's a big problem. I um, mean, and so it's, um, yeah, I think that's a problem where we had a write-up yesterday on yeah. um, what comes first, the data or the algorithm, okay. and it was Lucas's, Lucas B. Waltz from yeah. Red Flower. Lucas is the best. Yeah, yeah and it was, uh, we discussed we discussed that um, on that podcast. So what's next, Siobhan? I think you did this landscape, yeah. and um, are you expecting you'll go
1: to some other work? Are you done with the air? Are we... Are I don't, think, already I don't think one has an option to be done with <laughs> AI. Um, what's interesting now, is it's like, how do you, how are you even a data company that isn't using some sort of algorithmic
0: technique? It's yeah. just complicit
1: now, right? And so, you know, some of the questions are, what's interesting? What do you see, like, for, for the future? Right? Yeah. And you know, when we think about areas that are exciting for us, um, one of the things that's really nice is people are starting to figure out. The right UI paradigms and data paradigms to actually empower existing business users. And so, yeah. my favorite example of this always is something like a textio. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kieran Snyder and, and Jensen over in Seattle, um, what you know what they realized is, you know, the same way that you would never send out an email without spell check. Yeah. You're never going to create any piece of content without sort of domain specific uh, optimization and correction, right? Okay. And the the first use case they ended up getting pulled into sort of the, the company was you know, there's, a, there's a huge problem in terms of we all write job descriptions we're all crappy at writing them and the the instructions for how to write them are in like stilted textbooks no one reads them yeah and you know what it takes to write a good job description is very taste ish and evolves over time yeah right? but people are already capturing the data you need to basically like back into what, right. what constitutes a right. good job description uh, and so, I remember that what they built is just you know a tool that looks like a word interface that, that started with job yeah. descriptions is now more broad, but you can suddenly like I don't know I even when I write a job description who knows if I have a whole bunch of very biased terms Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Right. And so the idea of making machine intelligence invisible enough to the we need to start a podcast. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> People ask me what is SMB. Right, <laughs> right, right. Well, the acronym thing.
1: Um, oh goodness! Uh, no, no acronyms. I try to avoid them. So smack me if I'm doing like that. Um, but yeah, how do you make it both invisible enough? But the other, the other really critical thing that we love to see in a lot of these companies is how do you actually, over the process of using this machine intel- intelligence, educate the user to be better at their job in real time? Right? Yeah. Like this tool literally highlights words and phrases, and is like, "Hey, right. by the way, this is skewing it this way. Yeah. Here's a recommendation. Here's why. Right. And so." one of the big overarching trends here is is more and more products that help people learn and understand why Mm -hmm. they're doing behavior change. Yeah. So that's one category of of thing uh, is is I think knowledge workers are going to get a bunch of these tools that um, a lot of knowledge is just lost or dropped to the floor. Yeah. And you can be alerted in real time how to optimize your behavior, and it can feel very helpful to you, almost like a coach. We love stuff like that. Um, And then there's kind of another trend here. Which is, you know, how do we how do we use AI to help us be more human in various different ways, right? And so that that can end up meaning a few different types of things. So, you know, you talk to data science friends and whatever else, they're like, uh, jugger on data science is 90% data science is doing data janitorial work, and the other 10% is complaining about doing data genitorial work, right? So for people who are truly creative minds you know how do you how do you automate some of the things that a person really doesn't want to be doing right yeah is like parts of the ETL process for example uh, and then the other piece of this is we're, we're seeing a whole bunch of very curious and, and interesting um, experiments like one one area I was, I was very intrigued by was is there a role for machine intelligence in assisting the elderly it's mm-hmm. the a big market right yeah. now yeah. like hundred and- it's not even a market, right? It's more just like from a very human, empathetic perspective. Sure. It's Just like, oh goodness, you know, we've the, demographically there are, are more people aging. The the, the choices people are making are different too, which is they would like to live a, at home alone longer. Um, one of the things that kind of scares me a little bit is a lot of you know technology becoming more and more necessary, mm-hmm. but the user interfaces for technology are, are really not. They're made for an eighteen to thirty-five mm-hmm. year old demographic, right. right? And so. You know, you see these trends like what is machine intelligence particularly good at? Well, Mm -hmm. it's starting to let you converse with things in natural language. It's really good at picking up ambient Mm -hmm. signals and ambient data, right? If you package those things together, I mean, theoretically, you can have tools that can be just helpers to -hmm. various different people. And so that can be, you know, educational tools for younger folks. That can be, um, you know, just more thoughtful, empathetic UI for, for adults as well. Or or the aging who are at Home Alone. So we've made uh, an investment in the space in a company called Intuition Robotics, and and the idea there is um, in a very thoughtful, respectful way, provide someone a piece of technology that's more accessible to them in their home and let them. You know, essentially converse with people that are important to them, let them deal with elements of sort of, you know, social loneliness.
0: Yeah, and, and
1: just stay, stay better connected and uh, remember certain things in their lives that may have become difficult for them, right?
0: Have you thought about the opportunity of creating work for that workforce at all? Um, because that is constantly on my mind. Uh, people retiring early if they can and then not, there's, they're not going to be over drivers, they're not going to be right. uh, grocery baggers, so what is it, what, and so that, that keeps me curious in yeah. that
1: category as well. I've thought less about work for that category and more about meaning, mm-hmm. Like meaning is a big thing, I think that we think about a lot, um, and you know, if, if people are getting retired and they do have longer lifespans, it's like how can you, how can you still retain, uh, sort of, a sense of of meaning and of, of connectedness, which are very overlapping concepts, right? And so, a lot of what we think about there is staying more connected with community, and how, for example, software products or machine intelligence help you do that. Uh, and then also, we you know we've been working with uh, an EIR at our fund just to to think about, for example, what is what is the role of storytelling mm. in our lives? Um, and again, with these more natural mm. language interfaces, yeah, is there something to be done around storytelling? And, and allowing people, I think this applies, you know, to the aging populations, but to the populations in general. What is, can we help storytelling and conveying of your experiences and sharing of experiences? Um, will that give you a greater richness as, you, as yeah. you live your life? And so it's it's a very broad category, and I'm gonna speak about it in like, mm-hmm. sort of overarching terms. Yeah. Like I think we've, from a technological perspective, haven't really figured out all of the nuances for you know, how we want, for example, virtual agents to help us in right. getting our stories out and those sorts of things. But it's a thing we keep a close eye on. Do you
0: like Black Mirror?
1: Um, I have watched all of two episodes and I find them fascinating. Oh, well, San Junipero is probably what you're thinking of right now, which is which is the one about mm-hmm. sort of uh, aging and the role of technology mm-hmm. and that in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, fascinating show. Mm-hmm. The writers are a lot smarter than me is all I can say.
0: Um, well, you should meet with them. <laughs>
1: I haven't written my um, machine intelligence oriented uh, film film and T V piece yet. Yeah, I think that's the uh, next coming, one
0: coming out next week. Starring Shaban. Oh
1: goodness. <laughs>
0: no. That that could be the next thing you go. Go back full circle into
1: Hollywood. that doesn't work with my shy introverted side.
0: <laughs> um so what's Sorry about that. Uh, we can turn that off. Uh, so, what's next, I guess, Siobhan? You, do you have any time for
1: fun? Uh, mostly nerdy kinds of fun. <laughs> what is nerdy kind of fun? Um, I mean, honestly, it's one of those situations. I moved to San Francisco. I'm partially introverted. I meet at least 50 new people a week for work. And so, chances are when I'm going out on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, it's someone in technology and we're having some relatively nerdy discussion. My life is somewhat monocultured that way. Uh, but also, I mean, for me, the, having a beginner's mind throughout all the time is just super, super important. And I always have kind of like a subset of hobbies that I'm very ridiculously bad at, but enjoy nonetheless. And so the three for me over the last year and a half or so have been uh, I've taken up learning photography. I started teaching myself piano and somehow I missed swimming growing up because I think all the water in Canada was frozen. <laughs> uh, and so I'm terrible at all three of these things, but I do them for several hours a week no matter what, right? That's uh, awesome. Just to provide some sort of, you know, I have a, a life rule to look silly more often. And will um, to that.
0: It just means I'm learning. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, this is super helpful and this is just the beginning. But I think it um, gives us a good background of what Siobhan's really been up to. And thank,
1: thank you for coming on our show. Uh, it's always, I will take any excuse to see you, so this has been fun.
0: Well, how do the audience follow you? On
1: Twitter? Yep, just my name, which is slightly made up, so it's S-H-I-B-O-N. Um, <laughs> at Siobhan.
0: It's the most unique name I know.
1: And I, like, I credit my parents.
0: And they're, they're awesome. Who are the best.
1: They're, who you've
0: met. Yeah, and they make really <laughs> good food. <laughs> and you can follow me at AdTrippy. Thanks, folks.